Uh, I'd like to invite you to join me as we read the Bible together. Um, if you're looking on the Pew Bibles in front of you, um, it's on page 852. It's Luke chapter 19. If you're using your phone, Luke 19, 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran up ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks, Rami. Thanks for everyone. Uh, Good to be here tonight. Uh, we are in talk number four uh, in this Go series, and Go as a friend of all. I'm going to pray that God would speak to us. God, we uh, open up our hearts to you now. We open up our minds. We ask that your spirit would take your word and uh, teach us, correct us, train us in righteousness, and that we would be fully equipped for the good work you have called us to do. And Lord, give us a, a heart after you. Help us to understand your grace and your willingness to see men and women of all backgrounds and all experiences, find new life in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, uh, John Dixon, uh, many of you will know, is an Australian Anglican minister and award-winning author. Uh, he wrote a book many years ago called A Sneaking Suspicion. And when I was doing youth ministry, a young adult ministry, a schools ministry, and uh, we would use this book that introduced people to the gospel. He talks about having a sneaking suspicion, there's more to life than what we're experiencing. And then as a follow-up to that, he did a book called Hanging In There that we use in our discipling with teenagers especially. And, uh, but in this book, he describes what he was like as a young year nine student. I'm looking for some year nine somewhere. Right. He said, uh, in year nine, my mates and I were the class clowns, he said. We never burnt the school down or anything, but it seemed like hardly a day went by without getting busted for something. The closest I ever got to religion before the age of 15 was attending a funeral. I had never gone to church or Sunday school, and no one in my family showed the least bit of interest in religious stuff. Turning out as a Christian surprised everyone. As I never did drugs or stole cars, I used to shoplift a little bit. I was a selfish 15-year-old jerk, he self-describes. I learnt martial arts, I love this, I learnt martial arts for five years, practised hard, then went to school to find people to practise on, <laughs> he says. Hurting just a couple of people is enough to get confidence, a big head and a reputation in the school, and they don't touch you. 
About this time, though, while he was like this with his mates through the witness of a female scripture teacher who went beyond scripture teaching, by the way, if you can read the story, I was surprised by God's love for me and over a period of months I was drawn to a God who would forgive me for my wrongs and give me a new start. Like most Aussies, I had a hunch there was something more to life than beer and footy. I also had a hunch that the something more could be found by looking into Jesus. When I decided to go with my hunch, I discovered more than I'd ever bargained for. He went then on to become a leader and a preacher. Uh, he has done for the last 40 years or so. Now I want us to remember tonight that Jesus is full of grace and comes to seek and to save the lost. The lost like John Dixon, the rebellious teenager. Or to seek and save the confident chief executive. Or the seek and save the avowed atheist or agnostic. Or the committed family woman. Or the moral and upright Hindu or Muslim or Buddhist. Or to seek and save our friends and our neighbours. God comes as a friend of all to offer salvation to everyone. And when he was on the earth, Jesus obviously was uh, quite uh, shocking in his behaviour in that he went to the outcasts, the outsiders. And the religious people didn't like him for that. They judged him, they critiqued him. Jesus went to the outcasts in society, the immoral, the prostitutes, the liars, the cheats, and the sick and the oppressed and the leprous, those people who are not included as part of normal society. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice, and, uh, and you'll read this in your Bible study this week, Jesus commends the love of a former prostitute in chapter 7. In chapter 15, the Pharisees and religious leaders condemn him. They say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He said, when you go and eat with someone, it's a sign that you accept them. You have fellowship and friendship. If you go to someone's home and have a meal with them, that speaks of intimacy and friendship. You don't go to someone's house, you don't share a meal if you hate them. Oh, maybe you do sometimes. Normally family, Christmas and so on. But normally... You don't. And they were surprised by Jesus' love for an association with what they would have called the worst of society. Jesus came as a friend of all. And we're just going to focus on this passage today, and in your home groups, you'll focus on a whole bunch of other ways to be a friend of all. But I want you to see the beauty of Jesus' action right here. So we have a guy called Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He worked for the Romans and was hated by the Jews, his own people. The Romans are in authority over Israel, and so they, they palmed off some of the jobs to the local people, the Jewish people. And if a Jew offered to work for the Romans, uh, they would collect taxes on behalf of the Romans. They would give the money that was due to the Romans. But by charging a good price, there would be a lot of profit for the Jewish people as well. But if you're a Jewish person, you are not happy with the people of your nation working for the Romans. In fact, you so dislike them, you would not include them in your family settings. You would not include them as a friend. In fact, you would shout at them and you would abuse them. You'd treat them as a traitor to your nation. Zacchaeus, though, not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So he would employ others to go out and collect the taxes and they, they would give it to him. Picture him sitting at his table, wealthy. And Jericho, we know, was a top spot for a tax man important trade route from Jerusalem to the east. So Zacchaeus was filthy rich. But although he had a lot of money, I want to suggest to you he was dreadfully lonely. Sure, he had his tax-collecting mates, because he had some people over with Jesus. But generally, he was an outsider in the community, not loved, not valued, not respected. In fact, 
hate it. There's Jesus turning up. We're told that Jesus and the gospel is on his way to Jerusalem, where he would be arrested, tried and crucified for our sins. He would deal with our sin problem, our rebellion and our spiritual lostness. Passing through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem, and Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was going that way. He wanted to see who Jesus was. So here you have this guy who's an enemy of the people of God, who was a traitor, has heard about Jesus. Maybe he's met Jesus before, we're not told. He knows of Jesus and he wants to see him. And maybe he wants to hear him. Why does he want to see him? We don't know. Maybe he's heard that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Maybe Jesus goes to the outside and he thinks, well, maybe Jesus will accept me. Maybe he's just curious, famous person walks past. Taylor Swift is walking through Norway, I'm running down the street, are you? Famous person comes through, we're all going down to have a look. Jesus is coming through. He's heard about Jesus. Maybe his conscience was disturbing him. Maybe he's looking at his life and thinking, I've really made a mess of my life. I'm hated by my family, my friends. I work for the Roman tyrants. I don't want to do that, but I like my money. Maybe he's feeling guilty. He was a short man, we're told. Our picture Zacchaeus, short, with a beard and a bit tubby. Short and rich, wearing a long tunic. Picture him from neck to ankles. If I was making a movie, a Jesus movie, as many have done, I would have Danny DeVito playing Zacchaeus. All right? I see him mischievous, causing trouble, running around the place. But he's resourceful, though, as well, isn't he? He thinks, no one's going to let me get close to Jesus. So I will run ahead, I'll find a vantage point, I'll climb up on a tree. Now, even that is ludicrous. This is filthy, rich tax collector is hiding up in a tree, trying to see Jesus walk past with the crowds. Even that is somewhat embarrassing but he gets up there in a, what's called a sycamore fig tree. I'm told it has short, a short trunk and lateral branches. So he climbs up. And I think he's up there thinking, I hope no one looks up. Maybe they've seen him. And then what happens? Jesus, surrounded by a large crowd, stopped at his tree. Zacchaeus is sitting up in a tree and Jesus walks past. And Zacchaeus is going, look at Jesus walking past. And Jesus stops. Oops, he looks up. The crowd is now looking at Zacchaeus. He can't hide. If he was an embarrassment before, he's an embarrassment now. The whole crowd is looking at him. And then Jesus says, hey, mate, no, he doesn't. Zacchaeus. He knows his name. Not told why he knows his name. Maybe he knows his name because he's God and he knows everything. Or maybe he's heard about this filthy rich guy who's working for the, for the Romans. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus invites himself to the house of the chief tax collector, the traitor to the people of Israel. He says, come on, mate, I'm coming to your house. What does Zacchaeus do? I reckon he jumps down, he quickly runs, so excited that Jesus... This prophet, this religious teacher with a crowd followers going to his house. And they run and Jesus goes to his home. What's going on? Zacchaeus is surprised by God. 
He's surprised by God's grace. God is showing mercy to him and grace to him, willing to bring him a message of the kingdom of God, a message of repentance, a message of faith. Jesus goes to him, Zacchaeus, come to your house, my friend. He doesn't just ignore him and say, traitor, cheat, liar, thief, go to hell. No, 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 I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. And what's Jesus doing when he goes to a house? And this is important for us as we go to others. He eats with people. He has conversations with people. He speaks the truth to people. We're called to go to barbecues, to the pub, to the bowling green, to the craft table, into the playtime ministry. Wherever we go in our university, in our workplaces, we go to engage with people as a friend of all. And sometimes you'll have conversation with some of the strangest people, people you never thought you'd have a conversation with about, with, about Jesus. Because God is working in the lives of different people. You may be at the, as Matt has talked about, uh, you know, at a, at a uh, soccer weekend away with the boys, or it may be some other situation where in new places, people will ask you questions about faith in Jesus. God knows us and takes the initiative in our salvation. So important. Friends, God knew me. The Bible says God knows us before the, knew us before the creation of the world and chose to save us through Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1. So he knew about me and brought my family to Australia so I could hear the gospel. And then God sent a teacher who wanted to tell young people about Jesus. And God saved me. I didn't pursue God, he pursued me. Pastor Liambo, he's our Mandarin pastor. In fact, he came to Australia to study, do a PhD in some science subject at the University of Sydney. His wife went along to English classes at Asheville Presbyterian and she got converted. Liambo, he said, we didn't believe anything. It sounded like nonsense to me, all this Christian stuff, God, Trinity, dying on a cross. I grew up believing nothing. And soon he also heard the gospel and God saved him. And then he went back to China and he lecturing at a university. And as well as lecturing in the university, he was handing out Bibles and Jesus videos and he was interpreting in church services. And then their secret police in China were watching him. And one day they arrested him and put him into jail. Spent three months in jail. So one of your pastors has spent three months in jail in China. And then God released him. He came to Australia, got his license or got a visa and therefore he stayed here with his family. God pursued him, brought him to Australia, took him to English classes to be saved and is using him. God is at work. So we don't reach up to God, he reaches down to us. He leaves heaven to pursue us to be our friend. C.S. Lewis is a famous writer from the past, the author of the Narnia series, amongst other things. He's written a book called Surprised by Joy. Right? Surprised by Joy because he said he never wanted to be a Christian. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you were like this before you became a Christian. He says, you must picture me alone in that room at Magdalen College in Oxford in the United Kingdom. He said, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. I just sensed that God was there. God was after me, he says. God's love, God's grace was pursuing me. I was trying to push him away, but God was after me. That which I so earnestly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in. I admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Well, that's a different type of testimony. 
I didn't want to be a Christian, he says, but I sensed the love of God, the pursuing of God. I just, I had to give in. God was so good. He said, it did not seem then what is the most shining and obvious thing now, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son, at least, walked home on his own feet. Sorry, Dad, I stuffed up. Please make me a slave. Not this guy. Who can duly adore the love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who's brought in kicking and struggling and resentful and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape? Friends, that's God's love for us. God is after us. He pursues us. He wants people to be saved. The murderers, the cheats, the liars, the arrogant, the jealous, the sexually immoral, the adulterers, the gossips, the Islamic terrorists, whoever they happen to be, the Hindus, the Muslims, the Buddhists, the agnostics, the thief crucified next to Jesus got saved. The John Dixons, the C.S. Lewis's, the Ange Gratzunas's, the you. And if God has brought you here tonight, let me say, he's brought you here to speak to you. Here's a word for you. A number of years ago, there was a man who started coming to church with his uh, wife. His wife was a Christian. He decided to check out the place. And his wife said, it's a really lovely place. Everyone's so, so happy and they smile. They welcome you. Great connect teams. And then we have morning tea and so on. It's so good. He said, no, they're just there to rip you off. They're just trying to be nice to you so then they can take your money and do whatever. He didn't trust what we were doing here. But he would come to church with her, kicking and screaming to check us out. I remember he used to sit right up the back. And I'd be preaching. I'd be watching him as I preach. At the end of the service, he'd come to me. He would say, who told you about me? I said, what do you mean? So everything you had to say was like what I'm dealing with in my life. I said, God told me. <laughs> in one sense, God speaks through his word. God pursues him. And the next week, and the next week he'd say, I just don't believe it. I come and what I'm hearing from the Bible is really relevant to me. I said, God loves you and God has a plan for your life. You just need to repent and believe and come into a relationship with God. Because if you come under the sound of the word of God, God will speak to you and transform you. But what about the crowd? Let's keep moving. What do the crowd think? Zacchaeus, he's keen. He's going with Jesus. Jesus shows him grace. He's going to his house. They say, they're grumbling, this man has gone to be the guest of a sinner. In other words, when the crowd is with Jesus and he stops and he looks up at Zacchaeus, what are they hoping for? They're hoping Jesus condemns him. Miserable sinner, traitor, get him down. And the crowd is watching Jesus. Hey, Zacchaeus, he knows his name. Coming to your house, let's go. We're friends. We're going to eat together. We're going to talk together. We're going to drink together. And the crowd's thinking, Jesus, no, not him. <laughs> Anyone else, but not Zacchaeus. Don't you understand Jesus? He's the enemy. He's the one who works for the Romans. Come on, Jesus. What they're thinking, he's a sinner. He's an outcast. Don't go there, Jesus. They missed the point of Jesus. He came to seek and to save the lost, to bring forgiveness to all those who would repent. He loves the worst sinner. He loves you and me. Let me shock you for a moment. Nesson Kiston once spoke at one of our men's breakfasts. We have another breakfast coming up in May. Watch him there in his Salvation Army uniform. We invited him to speak at a men's breakfast because a couple of years earlier, 
Earlier, his father, Tony Kiston, was one of 35 people killed in the Port Arthur massacre in 1996. A guy went through, killed 35 people, injured another 23. I read articles by him, and I watched him being interviewed on television because they went to some of the family members. While others were crying condemnation upon this man and speaking without hope of what had happened, he said, angry? I don't feel angry. This man who did what he did, I feel sorry for him. He's very alone. I want to tell this guy that I love him too because my dad would have loved him. How do you say that? To a mass murderer. On the news and television, I watched him. He was trembling and shaking. He held out his arms and said, Jesus died for him too. Bring the message of the gospel into the mainstream media of what Jesus can do in the life of someone who knows him. And when I think of this guy, mass murderer, I think of the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, rounding up Christians, throwing them into prison, having them executed. And then God saved him and made him the great missionary who's written half your New Testament. Once a killer, once a murderer, now a servant of the gospel. Or take another story that Chuck Colson tells in his book, Who Speaks for God. Adolf Eichmann was a, uh, was a Nazi leader. He sent people to concentration camps to die, to be executed. At his trial in 1961, one of the men that he had sentenced to Auschwitz came in and saw him in the dock. Actually, he's in the court case. As Denua walked in, he began to sob uncontrollably and then fainted while the presiding judge pounded his gavel for order. Colson asked, was Denua overcome by hatred, by fear? Did horrid memories come back, which led him to collapse when he saw this man? He said, no. You see, what he realised when he saw this guy that he was not a godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. He just looked like an ordinary man because he was an ordinary man. And Denua says this guy who had been to, in Auschwitz just said, I was afraid of myself when I saw him. I saw that I'm capable of doing what he has done. I'm exactly like him. And in the commentary on the video, they said, Eichmann is in all of us. And some of you would say, oh, I would never send people to the concentration camp. <laughs> Man, come on, yeah, I'm a sinner, but not that bad. Imagine for a moment, you were living in Nazi Germany, and all the propaganda was saying that this is a good thing that Hitler is doing. He's going to bring prosperity to your nation. He's going to eliminate the terrible people. And, and many in the church did not oppose Hitler. Many of the Christians just went alongside, along with him. Ordinary people who would normally think differently followed that. I take you to the nation of Rwanda many years, some 20 years ago. Christians in churches like ours, in a, in a small period of time, changed and now were murdering each other. And you think, wow, 
Eichmann is in all of us. Look at our relationships. Look at your marriages. Look at your family relationships. The, the way in which we mistreat one another, or maybe abuse one another, put each other down. Look at what's happening in our society, the rape, the murder, the domestic abuse, the selfishness. Eichmann is in all of us. Sin is in all of us. You know, a few years ago, I remember some, the power went out in a large supermarket. Of, of course, it was the United States. It was a blackout. What happened when there was a blackout? Ordinary people went in and stole the television sets and microwave. You see, it's interesting that ordinary people who are not that bad commit terrible crimes. The Bible is right. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some more deeply than others, surely. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, let me say religion is about being good. It's about humans trying to work their way to God through their good works. Christianity is God coming to men and women through Jesus Christ and offering us forgiveness and a relationship with himself. God pursues Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, there's another way. There's a better future. I'm coming to your house. I see your need is after, after him. And God is after you. God is after me. As a result of this encounter, Zacchaeus is a changed man. The speaking with Jesus, he stood up and said to the Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times as much. What happened between verses 7 and 8? It's just read as a continuous. I'm assuming as I read the text and, uh, that verse 8 happens afterwards. He goes to the house. He's hearing Jesus speak about the kingdom of God, hearing Jesus talking about repentance and faith teaching him the right way to believe and the right way to act. And in the middle of that conversation, in the middle of those, uh, that dinner, he realised that he hasn't lived rightly. He makes peace with God, puts his faith in, faith in Jesus and offers to uh, compensate all those that he has cheated. He indicates by his decisions that he is now a changed man. When Jesus sees that, he says, salvation has come to this house today. This man also is a descendant of Abraham. So the other Jews thought, the crowd thought, no, he doesn't belong to us. He's outside the kingdom. He's outside the people. Jesus said, no, no, salvation's come to this house. And friends, you know what I'm praying for this year? That salvation comes to your house. Salvation comes to your school, to your classroom, to your university class. That salvation comes wherever you go, to your soccer team. That salvation comes to your craft group, to your tennis team. Salvation comes to wherever you go, that salvation comes as we take Christ and offer his good news to others. He came to seek and to save the lost. I started with uh, John Dixon, let me finish with him. An SRE teacher shared the gospel with him when he was 14 and 15. Then uh, having uh, been so passionate about Jesus, he then decided to set up a band with his mates called In the Silence. Now, I'm going to ask out here, in case, was anyone old enough to have gone to hear a live concert of Within the Silence? I did. One, two, three. Just look over there. Shows how old we are, right? <laughs> We're in the 50s, 60s. John Dixon is five years younger than me. I just checked it. He's about 57. I remember going to Glebe and other places, and his band would sing as a rock band, but they would communicate the message of Jesus. They'd go to schools and universities and prisons. And during that time, John Dixon's on the right. And by the way, interesting story that he's made, I think, on the left, if I get it correctly, is Ben Shaw, who went on to become an Anglican minister. 
I think died last year or the year before, I'm, I'm losing track, of cancer. And he wrote a book that we promoted last year which answers the questions on why you should believe in Jesus. Both went into full-time ministry, got converted through the work of an SRE teacher at the age of 14. But in this prison, it was a women's prison in Adelaide. It said that we sang songs, we tried to tell them about Jesus and the women looked terrible. You ever been to any prisons? They're not the prettiest souls in there. They've been hurt, they've been normally abused and they've been on drugs, they've been alcohol abuse and so on, they committed crimes. It said they didn't look happy. We, we preached, we sang about a God who loves them and so on. And we had supper with them afterwards and we got to know them. He said, I went home, I said I was broken, he says. I wanted to write a, a song for these women because they seemed to have no hope. I wrote a song about the guilty, get the words, guilty verdict that stands over these women's lives and how Jesus is able to turn it into an innocent verdict from guilty to innocent through Jesus. I said, I wrote the song. 12 months later, we went back to the same prison. Here we are again. Most of the women are still there. Long sentences. And at the end of the concert, he said, I sang that song. I told them that they so moved me that I went away and wrote a song for them. And their band in the silence sang the song about how God could take their guilty verdict and make them innocent in God's eyes. So there wasn't a dry eye in the place. The women are weeping and they're, they're sort of looking for hope and holding on that maybe we wish this were true, we wish this were true, that there was a God who could take our guilty and make us innocent. He, he says, they looked as if they were saying this, if only it were true that someone would forgive me and give me a clean slate in life. Friends, the good news is there is. His name is Jesus. So let's go as a friend of all, as his witnesses, that others too would receive his grace, be surprised by his love, and find life transformation, and move from being guilty to being innocent through the blood of Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing a song that speaks about that living hope, and I invite our music team up. There is the living hope, not only for those women in that prison, not only for your friends and for your family, but for you. And let me say, if you don't know this living hope, make that decision, take that step, become one of Jesus' followers today.